Welcome to the Who Cares Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Hedinger. Care matters. You feel better when you know somebody cares about you. And people feel better when they know you care about them. But there is so much more. Mastering caring skills equips you to engage with people around some very heavy subjects when they need care and help the most. And as people respond to you, you will be energized to realize that your care is making a difference. But most of all, when people of faith care effectively, the world is able to experience God's love and care. So we're here with stories and with leaders to talk about grief, trauma, addiction, mental illness, poverty, and more so that we can find the answer to the questions, how can we care better? What can we do to provide the best care? I'm excited to have Mitch Marshevsky on the podcast today. Mitch's sister, Jane, used the stage name Nightbird when she sang on America's Got Talent. Uh, And Mitch enjoyed the excitement of having a sister who made it to the big stage but he also walked alongside her in a very difficult battle with cancer. We talk about the agitation of the cancer journey with remission and then reoccurrence. And we talk about the agitation of belief and grief and blessing and loss. It's a really great conversation with Mitch, a very bright guy who went through a very dramatic circumstance with a very special sister. Thanks, Mitch, for being here. But before I talk with Mitch and you get to listen to our conversation, uh, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Best Care Ministry. For more real-life stories, useful resources, important organizations that offer care for people, go to our website, bestcareministry.com. It's also a great opportunity for you to get connected with the care ministry world and you can support us financially with a one-time or a recurring gift on the donate page of our website. Please consider supporting us financially so that together we can build a culture of care and help people experience God's love. Now, let's listen to my conversation with Mitch. Mitch, thanks so much for being on the podcast with me today. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. I think it's a conversation that a lot of people are going to want to hear as you talk about your story at walking alongside your sister with cancer. And she was a pretty special girl. Tell us about her. Yeah, she really was. Thanks, Dan. It's 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 an honor to be here. That's really been it's been an honor to be, you know, to be able to get to know you just outside of obviously the podcast space, but being able to be part of your show and being able to share Jane's story, I think is really, uh, really encouraging for me and something I've been looking forward to. Uh, yeah, Jane was a, was an amazing person. Um, if you haven't heard of Jane, her, she, her stage name was Nightbird. Uh, she was on America's Got Talent a couple of years ago. She'd received Simon Cowell's uh, golden buzzer for her perform- performance of her original song. Uh, it's okay. But what most people, you know, don't know is that she was diagnosed with breast cancer um, in her late twenties and she had gone through a couple bouts of it in, uh, in her short, um, that short period of time. And and she passed away when she was uh, 31 years old of, 
of metastatic breast cancer. But, you know, the her battle through cancer and her battle even being able to get on a show like that and get such success on a show like that in the midst of her cancer battle was inspiring really to, to a lot of people all over the world. And, and uh, just, it was a, it was an interesting experience for us as a family walking with her through that. What's it like to see your sister on TV with the mega celebrities in a really popular show, knowing much of the country is watching your sister sing? Yeah, it was really exciting for us as a family, obviously to see, to see that happen for Jane, for us to be a part of it. But honestly, you know, Jane was always like doing cool stuff. So as a family, we were sort of like, okay, like, of course, Jane's doing cool things. Like, this is just part of the way that her life is sort of playing itself out, even though she had cancer. And even though she was having some trouble, like earlier on, you know, in her 20s, she was singing for big, you know, chapel services at Liberty. And she had a pretty good, like, following down there in Lynchburg and she was really doing a lot of cool stuff. So, you know, she would say, she would always, she would be like, I'm going on the show. I'm doing this thing. We're like, that's, that's sweet. That's really cool. But yeah, what are we going to get for lunch? You know? And so we would just, and sometimes she would be like, she would be like, she'd be like, I don't understand why you guys can't just be happy for me. And it's like, well, we're happy for you. We're excited for you. But like, this is just another like cool thing that you get to do in life. And like, you're still Jane to us, like, regardless of where you go and what you do and who you talk to and who you hang out with, like, you're still, you're still my sister. You still, you know, like, are my little sister. And I can be excited for you. But I also like, I'm not starstruck, you know, at the end of the day, uh, with, with her. And it was just, it was a fun, like, back and forth with us of enjoying the successes, but also not letting them be too much of, of a big thing, if that makes sense. And, you know, it seemed to me that the celebrities were starstruck with her. They were impressed with her, like I am, that she competed at that level while she was battling cancer. Yeah, I I, I think you're, you're totally right. And I think part of it, and we've talked about this before, but part of it is those celebrities that we see on TV, you know, they're just normal, everyday people just like we are like, they just happened to be in the right place at the right time, worked, worked really hard at any at particular time in their lives, had the right relationships. The confluence of factors brought them to where they are. But like at the end of the day, you know, Simon Cowell is just a, he's just a guy that has hopes. He has dreams. He has fears. He has tragedy, he has trauma. He has all of the things that, that each and every one of us have walked through. Like he's lost his parents. He's lost people in his life. He has a son he has relationships, you know, he's even thought, probably thought about his own mortality in a lot of ways, just like so Sophia and Howie and, and Heidi have, and or Terry Crews or any of those guys. So even in seeing their reactions to it, it's not all that surprising to be able to see that um, out of some, out of one of them, because they're, because they're humans, number one. And number two, like, I do think there was something special about Jane's performance in the sense that she walked up there in the face of such such adversity and had a mindset that was completely different than what they expected her to have uh, in that moment. So tell us about her cancer journey and what it was like to be her brother. I have two sons and a daughter, and I think my sons uh, love their sister in a special way. 
I have three grandsons and a granddaughter. And I know my grandsons think my granddaughter is special. When you see your sister struggling with cancer, tell me about her journey. Tell me a little bit about what it's like to be the brother. Yeah, it, it was a, it was pretty difficult, I think, for us. And I, mean, I think me in particular, I'm not saying it wasn't difficult for my other brother, Andrew, or my other sister, Caitlin, but, you know, Jane and I grew up as best friends. And, you know, we were about 22 months apart. And, like, all we did together was sing in the car. We'd go to – we'd drive to school together. We would go to church together. We would – just, like, everything we were doing was together. And so, you know – there was a there was a really deep friendship there that she and I had that I think was I don't want to call it unique but it was I feel like I'm I was closer to Jane for sure than the rest of my siblings you know and even like I was closer to Jane than most of my most of the friends in my life you know so being able so having to walk through that with her was especially difficult emotionally for me just because it felt like a part of me was dying too um so the you know, which, which is obviously like tempered with the other side of, of that coin being, I have a theological framework. I have a particular worldview that allows me to not panic and to not, you know, spiral into anxiety and fear while still like walking through the sadness of the diagnosis and the, the anguish of like watching her in pain and not being able to take that away from her. And then then ultimately to the point that she passed away, you know, not being able to, you know, not being able to save her basically, you know, like all of those things coming together have been an interesting journey for me, especially having like believing, uh, you know, the faithfulness of God in his work in the world and how that factors into Jane's life and death. While also the, the very real human emotions that I have losing my best friend and my sister, my partner in crime, all of those things, you know, at the same time. So it's been, it was a unique experience for me, for sure, having to learn how to balance both of those. I heard an expression yesterday. I don't know why it was the first time for me. It's probably been around a long time. Your brain's like a washing machine, but not on the spin cycle, on the agitation cycle. It's just gone back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Would, would you say that's true of you? You're, you're, it goes one way. I trust God. I trust God. I trust God. It goes the other way. Oh, this is awful. I hate to see this with my sister. There's the because you used the word anguish, and yet at the same time there was assurance, and I could just see it going back and forth and back and forth. And is that correct? Did that happen with you? And if so, how long did it happen? What What was it like? How How long did Jane suffer? I mean, she died at 31. I am so sorry. I'm sorry for your family. I'm sorry for that tragic loss. Uh, that is way too young. And uh, mm -hmm. it scares all of us, too, to realize that's even possible. We, we just like to think we can prevent those kind of deaths. But uh, how, how long did she suffer, and what was that agitation like? Yeah, the difficulty for me in all of it was probably, I'm going to say that not even the, I mean, the agitation for sure, but I mean, Jane's, Jane's cancer journey was, a, was very much a roller coaster 
So it wasn't so much she gets diagnosed and then it's this decline and then it's a drop off. It was a diagnosis at 27 or 28, you know, where are the balloons? Did you see those balloons come up behind me? I don't I have no idea what just happened. She, she was diagnosed at 27 or 28 and she goes, she has no evidence of disease and then she relapses again, and then she has no evidence of disease, and then she relapses again, and then she has no evidence of disease, and then she relapses, and then she ends up passing away. So there was a there was a point in my journey with Jane that I stopped I stopped reacting to the good and to the bad. I think because it had happened so many times. And by so many, I mean talking about three, but I mean with cancer, usually you're not like it's not a it's not like a, a you know a seesaw. Or you're like, you're up and then you're down, you're up and down. Like usually it's, you know, and it's usually not happening in that short period of time. You know, she gets diagnosed at 27, she passes away at 31, and she gets diagnosed with cancer three times in that window. So there was a difficulty for me to be able to take the good or the bad as it came. Because I was like, this doesn't, this, this can be, I don't know how this is going to play out. You know, like... A lot of it was a wait and see sort of game for us, where she has she gets diagnosed she gets she has in 2020, 2020 she was given six months to live. We fly her to California. We put we get her in a clinic. We should we start these really targeted specialized treatments for her cancer. Ten weeks later, she's cancer free. So we're like, well, what the heck? Okay, this is great. We're celebrating and everything, you know. And then five months later or whatever, she's you know, her cancer is like creeping back again, you know, and then she's good. Then she goes through treatments again and she's feeling great and things are wonderful. And then she's, you know, she's right back at it again. Um, so to answer your question, that was a difficult thing for me to do was, was to even engage with either side of the emotion through the process. While at the same time, when I did engage with it, it certainly was this agitation of, I'm really frustrated that this is happening to her, you know, but I'm also like really trusting that, you know, the like that God has something, God, God's doing something here. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying God's, you know, struck her with cancer or something like that, but you know, like that the Lord's obviously got has his hand in, in this in some way. So the, the agitation piece of it is really an interesting image. I've never heard that before, um, but it's very true that even now, you know, I'm living this life post Jane, you know, where I'm running, I'm running the Nightbird Foundation, which is a 501c3 that's, that's on, in honor of Jane and that's helping, helping other women in their breast cancer journey. You know, so I have even the agitation of, I'm so thankful that I have this work that's in front of me now that I get to help so many people. But I kind of wish I was just working my normal day job and having Jane in my life. Like, that's the agitation I'm living through now is that. God's done God's done something amazing even through her death but I don't really want it at the same time at the at the same time if that makes sense. A couple of questions first. This podcast is designed to help us all care better. When you were going through the agitation is there anything people did that were really helpful to you that you want everybody to know about? Was there anything people did to you that you want to say, please don't ever do this 
to a friend that you have whose sister is dying of cancer. What can we learn from your experience to help people care better and offer the best care to people? How can we support you looking back now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think on the support side, there are a couple things. One, don't underestimate the power of like the small consistency of in, in, in the, in those people's lives. So for instance, in, in our case, you know, the random letters in the mail, the random text message, the seemingly random text messages, the, you know, just even just the presence, not presence in terms of gifts, but like people's presence in our lives, you know, those, those things mean something and they matter and they may not matter and they may not matter all at once, but they matter added up, if that if that makes sense. So like it can be, you can see, you know, you get a initially here's the way it goes. You get a diagnosis or something like that, or somebody passes away, you get this huge influx of support, you know, and meals and texts and phone calls and gift cards and you know, people want to talk to you and they want to help you and they want to work. And then it sort of like tapers off or it drops off continue, you know, right all all together. And the loneliest times can be the, you know the six month mark instead of the three month mark, you know, because people have sort of moved on from the, the shock of the tragedy or the shock of the diagnosis. So I really appreciated that the people that were consistent in my life in terms of encouragement and checking in and, and, you know, and just being there, being an encouragement. And I think that that was really a lot of what keep, kept Jane going was she had people in her life, you know, that were consistently encouraging her and giving her the, the, the ability to, keep on going. I think that's, I think that is a really important, you know, element of, of that process, you know, and those, and just as, as as a secondary point, those things don't cost you anything and they don't need to be huge and dramatic and they feel insignificant. They just do, you know? And so when that's one thing, and then second thing is don't feel offended if you're asking to do something for like if you were saying, hey, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And I don't have anything to give you to do. It's not because I don't trust you or don't care about you or don't want you to help me. It's that oftentimes there's nothing that you can do that's that's really going to be effective in, in, in helping me walk through my journey or, or something else. So those are kind of two things on the positive side. I'm sure there are more, but those are the things that float to the top of my mind. I think the, uh, I think the thing that was probably the most frustrating for me was and this kind of gets into a, a more of a theological space, but like when people would, would come in to our lives, like almost like naming and claiming healing, you know, in like, God told me that you're going to be healed. Like that kind of, it's all, and I'm not angry at them because it's like, they're very well intentioned. They very well, they very well may feel like they have gotten that particular word from the Lord, but the way that those things are communicated is very important. So even if you do have a sense that, you know, God wants to bring healing, it's not a declarative sense that you get to just sort of, you know, roll into somebody's life and say, well, God told, God said this about this, you know, even if it's true, if, it, if, if that's what the Lord, you feel like the Lord's given you, you know, you can you can pray about it. You can you can even encourage the person in who God is in His healing. You know, like there are ways to do it that aren't like that are. There's ways to do it that aren't tasteless and that are tactful. Um, 
I've just experienced enough of that in my own pastoral ministry in, in past years of people that they would come into a hospice room and make a bunch of declarations, you know, and then, then the family's like even more conflicted. Like, do I trust, do I trust God and believe they're going to be healed? Do I grieve this person? Do you know, you create more confusion than you can create help helpfulness in that way. So I think that's just something to, to keep in mind. I'm not, I'm not making a statement as to whether God does or doesn't heal or God does or doesn't speak. That, that's not what I'm communicating. The way that you go about doing that and communicating those messages, one, it's best done in the context of relationship. So if you don't know these people very well or you don't know the person very well, it's probably not a good idea just to, you know, to roll in as the prophet and the healer where there's no relationship based relationship basis, you know, and secondly, there's just a way to be able to communicate that, that, that leaves it open to them not having to make this decision of, well, do I have to have faith and trust in God that he's going to heal because this person said so, or am I going to be more sober minded about it and try to think it through from a, just a grief and a, just a care and a process side of things, if that makes sense. So again, I'm not, I'm not throwing shade on any of that. I'm just saying sometimes the way that we communicate things about and in the context in which they, we communicate them mean a lot more than we realize. I think you said that very well, Mitch. And I think what you said is very important. Uh, one of the things that brings to mind for me, see if this goes along with what you're trying to say. You need to be other person oriented. I can't go in with my theological agenda on you. I need to go in and care for a person, care for what's going on in their life, get to know them. And through getting to know them, and I believe that's even the way Jesus did it. Some of Jesus' most dramatic healings when he's walking down the street, he he doesn't go up to people and confront them with, hey, I'm Jesus, I can heal you. Uh, He asks them questions. He waits to be asked and and so if we're really other person oriented and we're really focused on them and getting to know them and being present with them, maybe we can avoid these offensive ways of good intentions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, I, I totally agree. And that's an interesting, you know, even just the way you said that, the offensive, the offensive way of good, they, it's, a, it's, those things definitely exist at the same time, probably more often than we realize we're well-intentioned, but we we cause offense instead of actually causing like healing and helpfulness, you know, in that way. And it's because oftentimes we're think we are thinking about what we have to say and the thing that we got and that what we get to give, as opposed to how's this person going to receive this? Are they in this place where they can hear it? Is this something that maybe I don't need to share at all? Maybe this is something I just need to take keep, you know in my own prayers for this particular person. Um, Yeah. Just because you have good intentions doesn't mean it's always going to work out and be received in the way that you want it to. Yeah. Yep. Very true. You know, I have a feeling we're going to have to continue this conversation in another episode because I want, I heard you, I've heard you speak a few times. I think you're a very gifted teacher. And uh, I, I love hearing you teach. I love hearing you preach. But when you came to the end of your message and you shared stories about being with your sister, especially at the time she passed, I don't want to just tack this that part on to the end of this conversation. 
you know, I think we talked about the process here today in, uh, in a way that that's the purpose of our conversation today. Let's save the next part for another conversation. Can I invite you back to do that? Yeah, absolutely. This, this is a, yeah, Jane's, Jane's story is probably too complex and there are probably too many lessons to learn, you know, from her journey uh, just for a 30 minute episode. So I'm happy to come back and, and chat through some of those other elements of it too, because as you know, we've talked about in the past, I've learned, I've learned a lot, you know, about how to care for other people who have been in my particular situation as a caretaker, as a family member, as a brother. And I'm still processing those things through while even processing my own grief. So it's, I think there are lots of lessons to learn, not because I'm the smartest guy in the room, but because the situation is, has taught me things I never thought I would ever have to learn. And I, I, I really would hate for those lessons to go to waste by not being able to share them with other people. Well, let's keep talking about it. But before you go today, I want you to talk about the foundation that you're working on, because that's a foundation that is helping women who are going through breast cancer and their suffering. And so what we want to do is take lessons that we're learning about how to care for people and pass that on. Tell us what you're doing there and how we can get involved and how we can learn to support people like you and like Jane when you're going through what you're going through. Yeah. So the Nightbird Foundation, I think I mentioned it before, um, we we set it up in honor of Jane after she passed away in, in 2022. And what we do is we we exist to bring hope and healing to women that are going through breast cancer. And we, have, we do that in two primary ways. Uh, the first way is we send gifts of hope uh, to women that are walking through their breast cancer journey. So these are, these are gift boxes that, that are distributed through cancer clinics and that you can nominate, you can nominate people that you know that are, going through, that are going through cancer. And we can send them out those, we send those gifts out. And they contain a copy of Jane's uh, poetry book, which we just, we just published. It comes, it comes out in a couple of weeks. And some of her music is in there. And then we have a tumbler, like a cup, uh, one of those stainless steel cups. And it has one of her quotes on the side. And, and the quote is, don't you want to see what happens if you don't give up? And we have some, some other literature in there that's, that's helpful to women. And the goal there, you know, is to bring in, is to bring encouragement and hope to those who don't have it. So what we found in, and I found in my journey of sitting in cancer clinics and treatment centers and even touring a lot of them too, now in this new role um, there are just so many women sitting in chemo chairs and they're in treatment centers and they just don't have hope. They're sad. They're down. They're, they're just beat up and they just don't have it. And so what we want to do is we want to bring that into their lives in such a way where that they, they don't have to let their circumstances be the thing that defines them, but we can help them realize they can be just like Jane in the way that they approach their cancer and their battle and their journey. Uh, so that's, that's one thing that we do. And then the other, the other side of that, is for every gift of hope that sponsors sponsored a portion of that gift of hope goes into a treatment fund that helps fund grants for women that that need uh, that need to some supplemental costs um, on their treatment plans. So th- that's that's the gist of what we do. But I mean, at the, at its core, we just want to take the beauty that Jane created in the world and the hope that she held on to, and we want to give it to as many people as we can. Uh, so our website's nightbirdfoundation.org. You can find out all the information that you need there. Um, about our programs and what we do, but 
at the end of the day, it's really about bringing encouragement and hope to those who are hurting and to those who don't have it. Uh, Cause we were blessed to have a really great structure in place, a really great community, a really great, uh, great and deep faith and framework, you know, to walk through our journey, but there's so many women out there that don't. So that's what we do is we endeavor to, to help those out. Well, I want to have the Nightbird Foundation on our website so that people, if they forget about it when they're listening to podcasts here or in the future and they scroll bestcareministry.com, they'll see you guys there. But I commend you for the work you're doing. One of the things that I have found in working with people going through grief and loss is there is a goal to grieving. Uh, And one of the the main goal to grieving is to find a way to honor the person you've lost. And it can be as simple as having a, an empty chair at the dining room table uh, at Thanksgiving. It can be having a chair for the dad. I was just there two weeks ago at a wedding, and he, the dad wasn't there. He had passed previously, but there was an empty chair in his memory. These ways to honor people are all helpful. But what you're doing with that foundation is incredible, and I think a lot of people are going to find comfort through it and hope through it and and somebody to reach out to, somebody to reach out to so that they're not alone. And so uh, thank you for what you're doing there. I wish you all the success with it. And uh, thanks again for talking with me today, Mitch, and we need to keep this conversation going. I look forward to the next one already. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dan, thanks so much for having me on. I was so glad to talk with Mitch today. I really appreciate him being here and sharing his story. I want to thank some other people that made this podcast possible. Zach Harder wrote and performed the opening music. Jim Hedinger wrote and performed the closing music, titled In the Midst of the Storm. Andrew Hedinger edited this and published this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Best Care Ministry. Please help us grow. Subscribe, share, share the podcast, tell people about it, colleagues, family members, and friends. Get the word out so that more people learn about care and learn to offer the best care. And visit our website, bestcareministry.com. For many more real-life care stories and resources and organizations that provide specialized care, go to the website, bestcareministry.com. Best Care Ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation. Please consider making a donation so we can reach more people with the message and resources of care. We want to continue to produce podcasts, and we want to continue to produce materials like the seven essentials for caring that makes a difference so that people can thrive in their care ministries and so that more people feel God's love. Thanks for listening today. And now take two minutes for self-care. Be still, be quiet, and listen to the calming music of Jim Hedinger. See what you hear.